Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here. If you have a Bible, uh, why don't you go ahead and find Ephesians chapter 5. There should be a roll sheet at your table. If you could go ahead and fill that out just so that we know that you're here, that would be awesome. And then if you are not um, able to face me in your chair, if you could turn your chair so that you'd face me, that'd be awesome. That way I can just see you and you can see me. That would be really encouraging um, and really helpful. So Ephesians chapter 5. Today, our message this morning may look a little different from previous weeks. We usually kind of walk straight through the text, and I give you, you know, two, three, four points. Um, But as I've read over our passage and taken notes and prayed and, and thought about how I might teach this well, it seems clear that over and over, Paul in our passage this morning is building up this big contrast between darkness and light. So the name of the message this morning is not clever, it's just what it is, darkness and light. So we're going to look at that contrast together. We have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to read the whole passage and then look at the whole passage uh, thinking about the life of darkness and then read the whole passage thinking about the life of light. But I want to remind us all at the beginning that it's easy for us to read these kinds of things and start to grade the validity of our salvation in how well we're doing today. And I just want to start the morning by saying that is not the way that you or I uh, have confidence and assurance in our salvation. Our works are not what assure us of of salvation. The work of Jesus is what assures us of our salvation. Uh, We're we're moving into um, Reformation Day and All Saints Day. We're reminded of the truths of the Reformation that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So I want us to have that in our mind, that we do not work for salvation. As Christians, we work from it, right? Our works, our lives are the fruit of being saved by Christ. And that's why Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 5. Look there with me in verse 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are his children. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are Christians, our imitation of God, our good works, our practice of holiness isn't to one day become part of his family. It's the result and the fruit of him already bringing us in. So I got to We got to start there because when we look at these two profiles of the life of darkness and the life of light, it may be a temptation for some of you who are Christians, if you're honest, to say, man, there's a lot in me that doesn't look like a Christian. So am I even really a Christian? Now, Paul does say in other places that you might test your faith. You might see if it's found lacking to see if your hope is actually in Christ or in something else. But I need you to remember the gospel because all of us are liable to find ourselves uncomfortable with how much darkness still seems to reside in us. But for all of us who uh, either who have yet to come to Christ by faith or those who are walking with Jesus as believer, the answer to the things that we will be confronted with this morning is not to work harder. That's not the solution. It's to run to Jesus the light of the world. So let's read the whole passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 21, and then we're going to kind of rifle through the passage and see what Paul and the Lord has for us. So listen in, read along. Therefore, 
Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Oh God, we thank you that we get to gather again once uh, once again this morning as the people of God to open your word, to hear from you, And I pray by the power of your spirit to be transformed. Lord, I know that there are some in this room who are walking in darkness. Their life is dark. Their minds are clouded. Their destination, if left alone, is death. And yet there are others, there are many others perhaps that are walking in the light. They're on the path to life. And Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that as we read and understand your word, the reality of sin would be clear in our minds, but even more clear would be the hope of the gospel. So I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to speak with clarity and with authority Speak only the truth that comes from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we jump back to verse 1, and we're going to kind of walk through this this passage together, uh, first thinking about the life of darkness. You've heard in this passage, there's this huge contrast that Paul's making between darkness and light. There are all of these things that we'll see together, but the controlling idea as we think about this whole passage is that we would imitate God by walking in love. We're walking as Jesus walked. But the contrast between light and darkness serves to emphasize life in ourselves against life in the Lord. 
If we want to live our life according to ourselves, that's what Paul's going to call the life of darkness. But if we want to live our life in light of the Lord, that's the life of light. So we need to begin with darkness. Some of the things Paul says about this way of life are right on the surface that all of us understand. We don't really need a a great deal of explanation for. So look at verse 4, for example. Things like filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. We all understand these things, right? When we speak or act in a way that hurts others or belittles others or is inappropriate before others or displays an inappropriate mind or heart, then we are practicing life in the darkness. But there's also darkness underneath those behaviors, right? Look at verse 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Obviously, those things lead to actions. But I think what Paul is getting at is that these are postures of our hearts. My heart desires satisfaction. My heart desires those things that are impure. My heart desires those things that I don't have, but the people around me seem to have. And I don't think it's fair. When we're led by these desires, we're being led by darkness into darkness. And here's the main problem. Look at verse 5. He clarifies for us. He says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually moral or impure or who is covetous, so everyone who has these dark desires in their heart, and then he clarifies for us, that is an idolater. The life of darkness is the life of idolatry. Now, when we put anything other than God as the one worthy of our worship and our allegiance, we have created an idol. So don't think idolatry as some kind of false god or false religion. It is those things, but comfort may be an idol. Pleasure may be an idol. Money may be an idol. Family may be an idol. Security may be an idol. Anything other than God as the one supremely worthy of our worship and our allegiance is an idol. And the life of darkness ultimately puts the same thing at the end of the day in that spot. Not God, but the self. We put ourselves in the spot of what is worthy of our worship, what is worthy of our allegiance. And so when we're following the idols of our heart and the self, our own selves are the usual suspects, it's easy for us to be deceived. It's easy for us to hear the the calls of the world and be led astray because the world knows that what we ultimately worship, what we desire if we're living the life of darkness is self. And so the world is going to call out to the self. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to feel good? Don't you want to be loved? Don't you want to be known? Right? These are all these attractive calls, but it's like bait on a hook. It looks good. It may satisfy for a moment, but it is for your destruction. It also means that we are the deceivers. Those who live a life of darkness, when we are idolaters, we will manipulate the truth 
towards ourselves and towards others for the sake of our idol. So if I'm living in darkness and I think I'm the most important thing in the universe, worthy of worship, worthy of affection, worthy of allegiance, then I will deceive you so that you might believe that my idol actually is worthy. I will manipulate our relationship. I will say things to your face and different things behind your back. I will imply certain things to make you seem make it seem like I'm better than I really am. I will deceive. It's the temperament, the default setting of who Paul calls the sons of disobedience in verse 6. A life that is running away from God and towards destruction. He continues in verse 7 by saying that these people are not just in darkness. It's not just that these people are wandering around, not able to see. He says they are darkness. This isn't just a, an infirmity, a sickness that has fallen on us, like getting cancer. Yes, students, as, as far as the world is concerned, you and I are victims in a real sense of the sins of this world. We are sinned against. We live in a broken world. We experience things that we would not otherwise have signed up for. We are receivers of darkness, but we also are darkness. We are not just sick. We are rebels. We're traitors. And the life of darkness is twofold. We want it and we receive it. And if God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, as John tells us in 1 John 1.5, then blessing is not the future hope for those who are darkness. If you think that you're going to live a life of darkness and somehow have the expectation that the God of light will look at you and say, well, he tried really hard, so I'll bless him, then you do not understand the scriptures. And you don't understand reality because that's not how it works. No, their future is one of wrath, of judgment. The fruit of their works, Paul says, is ultimately fruitless. They're shameful. Our idols, hear me, our idols will always, always eventually lead us to shame. You may not feel it right now, but it's coming. Continue to walk in the idolatries of your heart and you will find yourself racked with shame. Because we think that our idols can give us what we desire, but the only thing they can give us is shame. Because they aren't true. They will only let us down and find us let down as well. Our idols will condemn us because when they don't deliver, we will somehow believe it's because we didn't follow them enough. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't deceive enough. I didn't put enough effort in. I just need to keep trying harder and eventually something will happen. Look at verse 15. The life of darkness, of idolatry, Paul says, is unwise. It is a different way than the will of the Lord. That's verse 17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
It's like getting drunk with wine, verse 18. It's debauchery. It's an indulgence. Living in darkness is an indulgence that we think is good, but ultimately dulls us and destroys us. Right? That's the picture that he's giving us with drunkenness. You drink and you're like, oh, this is nice. I feel something. This is kind of a good, pleasurable thing. And then it falls off the rails and turns into debauchery. Students, listen to Paul. Listen to the word. The life of darkness may look good to some. It may offer pleasure and worldly success. It may tug on the desires of your heart that loves to make much of itself, but it is idolatry and foolishness. The life of darkness is idolatry and foolishness. It is fruitless. It is hopeless, and it will only end in destruction and wrath. The way of darkness is the way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. And there are some of you in this room living in darkness. You may be obstinate in your walk of idolatry and foolishness, thinking that you have it all figured out, that there's nothing that the gospel, there's nothing that this church, there's nothing that the people of God can really offer you that's better than what you're longing after these days. I am begging you to consider where that will lead. And I would just ask, how's that worked out for you so far? Things may seem wonderful to you now, but if the Bible is true, then the fun and pleasure of the life of darkness is like the exhilaration one might feel skydiving, only to realize that they did not put on a parachute. It's not real. But there may be some of you who do not want to live in darkness anymore. You see it for what it is. You see that it's bankrupt. It's foolishness. It's fruitless. It's hopeless. It's not going to bring you the joy that you desire. It's not going to bring an end to the burdens that you feel. The good news of the gospel is that those who were in darkness are now light in the Lord. So let's restart Go back to the beginning of our text and now look at the life of light and bring the contrast into focus. Listen again to verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here is the life of light. We imitate God, who is light, by following the light of the world, Jesus Christ, who walked in love and gave himself up for us. So the life of light is a life of self-sacrificial love towards those who desperately need it and may not deserve it. Don't miss that. The life of light is a life of self-sacrificial love. I'm giving of myself for the sake of others, towards those who desperately need it and may not deserve it. The question is not, am I going to sacrifice for those who deserve it? Because if that was the case, then Jesus would have died for no one. But if he is our model, 
on how to live a life of light, then whether or not the people around us deserve it in our minds today is not a variable in whether or not we're going to sacrifice ourselves in love and follow Jesus. That kind of life reflects the heart of God and it displays to the world that we are his beloved children. Instead of the ways of darkness, the life of light practices thanksgiving, not foolish talk, not crude joking, not sexual immorality or impurity, but gratefulness, thanksgiving. That's why in verse five, we can see the contrast here. See, and look, look at me in verse five. He says, you may be sure that those who are walking in darkness have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, which means that if we're in the light, we have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. That that's our hope. All that we receive in this life, easy or hard, good or bad, things that we want or things that we don't, is ultimately coming from the God of heaven who is not preparing us for wrath like the sons of disobedience, but for infinite blessing, for an inheritance from God. So the life of light is able to recognize, not with full clarity, not with no questions, not without pain or sorrow, but it's able to recognize that in all things, God is forming us. He is teaching us. He is guiding us towards himself. And in a real sense, we already are light in the Lord. So our lives, our walk, to use Paul's language, is to be as children of light. Look with me in verse 9. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So what we're to produce as children of light accords with what is good, what is right, and what is true. Don't overthink this. We're really good at trying to find rules to follow and laws to keep. And often you may want me to be really, really practical sometimes and say, when this happens, you need to do this. When this happens, you need to do this. What the scriptures are more concerned about is you developing wisdom to be able to discern what is good, what is right, and what is true, no matter the circumstances of your life. So when someone is unkind to you, how should you respond in a way that is good, right, and true? When you're tempted to linger back towards darkness and sin, what should you do? Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is true. It's not always one direct answer, one immediate response, one only one right option so that's why Paul says in verse 10, we're to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. There may be a hundred different ways that you can respond to a situation that honors God. But in trying to discern what pleases the Lord, you know that whatever that decision is going to be, it's going to be good, right, and true. But if Paul's saying that we need to try to discern, then I think he's telling us that we need help. And that's why we need the Lord. 
That's why we need his spirit. That's why we need his word. And that's why we need his people. So as we do this, we also do the work of exposing darkness. As we live our life in the light, doing whatever is good and right and true, what is pleasing to God, we will be exposing the darkness. That's what Paul says in verse 11. As we live, it may become apparent how others around us are not living in the same way, whether that's classmates at school or people in a, a, on a sports team or in a club. But I also think there's a sense in which how we now live comes with a responsibility to call those things out that are not shining the light of God. Now, you and I are not the spiritual police. So, so hear me. What I'm not saying is you have a friend who's not a believer and you now have heard from me this like mission that you've been given to call him out every time he does something that you think is dishonoring the Lord. Probably not helpful. Because fundamentally, if he's not a believer, if she's not a believer, these little fruits of a sinful heart are not the problem. The problem is idolatry. And so rather than you cutting them and, and tearing down this bad fruit that you see in their life, it may be the wisdom of God that leads you to say, hey, can I just share with you how I used to live as though I were the most important person in the world and I thought it was good, but it actually was leading me to sorrow and despair and frustration and heartache. But then I learned from the Bible and from God's people at my church that if I make God the Lord of my life, if he's actually the center of the universe, it makes sense out of life and it frees me up to, to actually not just act holy or act good or act better than everybody else, but, but to desire living a life that honors God. And that, that actually led to joy in my life and peace in my life. Can I share with you about how that happened? That's a completely different conversation. Now, they may say, yeah, sounds good for you, but that sounds goofy. No thanks. And you continue to pray, and you continue to love them, and you continue to show them the compassion and kindness of Christ. But what I have in mind here is an in-house activity among the believers. None of us have arrived at personal perfection. None of us have figured out all of our blind spots. None of us have conquered all of our sinful tendencies. None of us have eradicated all of our mixed motives. So we need each other to shine the light in our own hearts because sometimes there are pockets of darkness. Sometimes that means wisely, humbly, graciously, lovingly exposing to a brother or sister how they may be lingering in the darkness. Hey, I don't know if you intend this, but can I ask you a question? You said this to so-and-so the other day. Man, I think that really hurt her. What's going on? Or, or hey, I don't, I don't know what was, what was the, I don't know the, the, the motives of your heart, but you... You did this the other day, and I was really offended. Can I, can I, can I share with you what's, what's going on in my heart? Right? Or, hey, look, you're, even among 
friends that we know each other and we know how we work and we know the kinds of things that we say. You may see a friend or a loved or a brother or sister here acting differently. Well, who was someone who was once patient is now being short. Someone who was once just default kind is now unkind. Perhaps you should say something. Not in a not in a condemning manner, but out of love. It may also mean being the one confronted. Recognizing that if somebody comes to you with a concern, with a, with a problem, with, with noticing something that's gone on in your life, that you may be the one on the receiving end of it. Now, We could spend a lot of time on this, but the few things I want us to just know before we we move on, we've got to finish. Confrontation over sin in the life of the church is a gift. It's not punishment. It's a gift. I can't convince you that this is what you need. I can't convince you that this is actually something that you might want. But if I want to be holy, if I want to love God, if I want to follow him with all that I say and all that I do and all that I think, and I know that I'm broken and I know that I'm sinful and I know that I still have problems in my life that that lead me astray and back towards the darkness, then people around me who love me enough to talk to me, not as someone who's angry and wants to get after me or hurt me, but as somebody who wants to rescue me out of that sin, that is a gift from God. So if you go to confront a brother or sister... And the only things that you have ever said to this brother or sister have been critical and negative. Perhaps consider waiting and practice saying something positive. Right? You don't want the demeanor and the, 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 uh, the reputation of only finding fault in others. That's not what I'm saying here. So when I'm talking about looking towards confronting one another you can confront one another positively as well. When you see a brother or sister walking in light, expose that too. Hey, look, I, I know that like high school guys, I, I know that sometimes the junior high kids are like kind of weird. But like you could, Josh said preach. You can love them and encourage them and, and build them up in the faith and pray for them. And if you see one another doing those things, that's commendable. Commendable meaning something that's commended, like talked about. Hey, junior high, you're not, you're not that weird, right? Um, there may be some of you who, who recognize that there are things among junior high kids that is not really fruitful. Um, silly, temporal, uh, seasonal kind of flash in the pan fad kind of things that we we spend a lot of our energy and time on and part of growing up into maturity is kind of lessening the things that are not super important in our life and replacing them with things that are eternally important in our life so when you start to practice following Jesus as a 12 13 14 year old 
That's super commendable. Like when a 13-year-old says, hey, sorry, I can't do that uh, because I'm, I've, I've got to go to this Bible study. Or, hey, I was reading last night in my, in my Bible and thought of this and just thought of you and said, man, I was so encouraged by what you told me last night. When you start to practice being a follower of Jesus, even as a young person, like younger than maybe a lot of people in the room, that's commendable too. And so we all, if we have eyes to see, can bring out light from light. That's what Paul's saying in verses 13 and 14. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So these are all opportunities for us to look at what God is doing in our life. They're all opportunities for us to give worship and thanksgiving and praise to God who is working in us to make us more like Jesus. So when we think about confronting one another, it requires wisdom, it requires discernment. But my my prayer for you is that no matter what you say, no matter what the issue might be, make it your aim to walk away from the conversation having convinced the other person They may be upset with me. They may be mad at me. They may be hurt by me, but I know that they love me. I know that what they want for me is godliness. I know that what they want for me is not to harm me, is not to hurt me. Now look at verse 15. The way of light is the way of wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So if the life of darkness is idolatry and foolishness, then the life of light is worship and wisdom. Worship and wisdom. It's the way that fills us with the Spirit and leads us to worship and thanksgiving to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way of darkness Foolishness and idolatry that leads to death, but the way of light, the way of wisdom and worship led by the Spirit, which leads to life. And I want that for all of us, that we would choose light and choose the way of life, that we would be marked by worship and gratitude for who God is, for what he has done, for what he is doing. I'm telling you, if we make this commitment to walk as God's beloved children, following Jesus together, then it will be very hard. But for those who have already started to walk in these ways, they can tell you that the fruit and the joy and the love and the peace that it produces is unquestionably worth it. I was talking with somebody just the other day about a hard little set of circumstances that we've been going through. And uh, I said, you know what? Kind of just to put all of the stuff that we're kind of dealing with in perspective We have eternal life. We have eternal life. Now, that wasn't meant to make our problems or our hurts just vanish. And when you encourage or speak truth into the life of of a brother or sister in the Lord, it often does not just cause all the pain to go away. But in that moment, I think it helped us both fix our eyes, not on the temptations of our hearts that lead us to darkness, but on Jesus and his love. So I don't know exactly what's going on in all of your lives. 
I don't know exactly what kind of temptations that beset you, except for what Paul says in Corinthians, that there's no temptation that's overtaken you except what's common to man. You're not special in the way of temptation. We all have similar struggles. And I know that the life of light is a life of hardship. It's a life of humility. It's a life of dying to ourselves. It's following in the footsteps of Jesus. But it is the path to life. It is the path to his love. It is the path to his joy. And in the next few minutes, I hope that's where you will be led as well in your conversations around the tables and in your rooms. So let's pray. And then we'll spend some time together.